Welcome to Southeast Asia's Growth Leaders with True, a podcast dedicated to the region's high growth and early stage scene, where we ask industry leaders and experts for their insights, advice, and experiences on how to build and scale sustainable businesses in the region. My name is Sam Randall, and I'm a partner at True Search. True is the world's leading executive search platform for technology and tech-enabled companies. Since our inception, we have partnered with tech startups throughout their growth from pre-seed to post-IPO. With over 300 search professionals in 14 offices across North America, Europe, Middle East, and Asia, we have a modern and innovative approach, working with the founder and investor community to advise and assist in successfully scaling their businesses. With a decade of Southeast Asia search experience in technology, I lead the high growth and early stage practice for True in the region. I help startups through high growth stages with advice on talent and hiring, as well as providing search for co-founders, leaders, and technical experts. This week, we are delighted to welcome Norman Sassono to the show. Norman is the CTO of mobile payments platform, Dana Indonesia. Norman brings 20 years of experience from bootstrapping a startup to working in one of the world's largest technology companies to now running the huge technical organization powering Dana.id. During this session, we detail his journey from his background in physics and maths through to a dive into the technical challenges of growing a business to 40 million users, whilst also growing the technical team from 100 to 350 people. We cover regulations, security, leadership, grit, resilience, and the Starfleet Academy in this fascinating view into one of the world's fastest growing countries and sectors. Okay, great. So Norman, thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's great to see you again. Um, how, how have you been? How have you guys been coping in, in Indonesia? Um, yeah, thank you, Sam. Thank you for the invite. Uh, nice to be here. And uh, yeah, uh, I think it's been three, four months in the quarantine in Indonesia. I think like most of other places in the world as well. And what is new for us is uh, today uh, in our office, we begin to start the uh, combination of work from home and work from office. So uh, we, we separated into uh, three different groups, A, B, and C. And this week, Group A will start to come to work and work from the office again, while B and C will stay at home. And next week will be the B and so forth rotating. Okay. On a three-week uh, cycle. Ensure the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. social distancing because okay. we cannot have all employees yeah. in, in the yeah. office at the moment. Yeah. And uh, have you had much uh, downtime at home during lockdown? Have you Have you had a chance to learn any new languages or... Um, study any new hobbies or um, has it been has it been work 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 the whole the whole time what is new is um, I, I do CrossFit uh, okay. uh, functional high intensity training so usually I do it in in uh, in, in our box in, in our gym but since the pandemic uh, quarantine at home been doing it uh, alone by myself at home so it's not as fun but it's just something <laughs> that I have to do every day and <laughs> <laughs> I say it strikes me yeah. as one of those things that there's quite a bit of community built around it as well, and yeah, so there's yes, the, uh, yeah. to to train that hard at home alone <laughs> sounds yeah. sounds difficult. You tend to you know like just go with your pace, and no one really encourages or competing with you. So if you feel tired, you just like man, I'll, I'll chill a bit and then go back <laughs> attack again. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's different. Yeah, yeah. And I, read read I, some 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 books and. Um, watching some some online learnings uh, and 
I do a lot of uh, webinars, got a lot of invitations from universities yeah. and, and associations to deliver uh, various talks around technology payments and stuff like yeah. that. Been starting, yeah, I think, yeah. Feel free to plug some of the for some of the you know the, the more interesting uh, webinars now if you like. Is there anything interesting coming up or? Uh... It's it's a what's coming up is it's the regular is the technology okay. scaling the tech team yeah. the payment systems yeah yeah okay so tell me a little bit about your your background Norman so I you know I see you've been in technology for a for a long time do you want to perhaps talk us through the why you chose tech as a career and um, what's driven you on and perhaps a few of your journeys through um, from from starting out yeah thank you thank you thank you for the question Sam so um, I'm Indonesian. Definitely. And I was born and raised in Bali. So, yeah, some, some nice. a place that you should visit. Yeah, I, <laughs> and, I have uh, been to Bali a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. So, so uh, I grew up in a house about 50 meters from the beach. So oh. every time, every night, I can always hear the, the, the sound of the waves and stuff like that. So really, really good time. And then I grad high school and uh, studied uh, university all in Indonesia I studied engineering physics mm. so uh, I was really drawn into physics and mathematics and then I took a master also in mathematics and computer science so I'm actually more towards that rather than you know the IT software itself yeah I'm more into physics and mathematics but then it turns out that not yeah I have to make some compromise that uh, you know uh, not many jobs with a good pay in the field of mathematics and physics yeah. available in the country. Yeah. And the easiest uh, other option for me to switch from is, uh, of course, uh, coding, programming, and software mm -hmm. engineering. Because in physics and in mathematics, we do a lot of that as well. Yeah. So it translates well. And <clears throat> since then, I basically just uh, built my career in this industry. So it's yeah, 20 years now it's all in software engineering uh, some local companies uh, some regional companies and then I end up working for Microsoft in the yeah. developer and platform group developer experience yeah. it's uh, uh, based in Indonesia but it's actually a corporate headcount so a lot of traveling to our mothership in Seattle Bellevue area so yeah. we basically work on uh, stuff that's not been released in the market yet yeah. So we try to do exciting stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, and then um, with a couple of friends, uh, co-founded a startup that is a bootstrap. It's in the marketing platform. It's a loyalty platform uh, yeah. uh, system. And then after that, built another startup with a friend in the B two B e-commerce space. Okay. And for this one, it's not a bootstrap. It's a VC funded. We fundraise yeah. till Series B, and then. Uh, I decided I want to do something else, and yeah, since then I'm with Dana as its CTO, okay. leading the technology team in Dana. Amazing. And so yeah. you've done early stage bootstrap um, startup, you've done venture backed startup, you've done large international technology company. Um, I mean, that's a that's a wonderful blend of experience. But perhaps you can share. Could you share perhaps one insight from each? Um, from each of the types of companies of, of something that you've taken from that experience and that you, you have brought with you, um, something that you, you sort of use, use today? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest learning is that um, maybe there is not really a thing called wrong decision because a decision was made 
in a given time in a given situation that is different. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that that is the biggest learning that that I have learned, and you know, building a startup from scratch in a bootstrap, uh, it it gives me d- different challenges. You know, uh, basically, I just have two developers. Basically, that's anyone who just want to join me. I cannot really attract like the the brightest mind yeah. of talents. Basically, just end up with whoever I got yeah. and build from there. And then on the in the venture back startup, it's also something that we start with five, six developers, and then we grew, we fundraise, we drive traction in the market. And um, when I left, we have about 150 engineers. So huh. from five to 150, it's <laughs> it's pretty scale up. Yeah. And then um, in in Microsoft, it's of course a, it's a, it's a big uh, multinational company. Sure. I think it. Uh, Maybe at the tens of thousands of employees, mm-hmm. where you're just basically uh, someone that will sit in a corner in a cubicle doing your stuff, and yeah. you know, yeah. cross this ocean of great engineers. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, and 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 now Indana is a it's a, a a startup transitioning from starting up to scaling up. Yeah. Because uh, we we are we're, we're we're we started about two years ago, but we okay. managed to reach. More than 40 million users now. Wow, okay. That short period of time and building the team. Uh, uh, yeah, when I join, we have about 100 plus engineers or so, okay. and we're about 350 now around that number, and wow, okay. we're still growing. So, yeah, it just like you said, it's it's in it, it's good to have that experience to see a bootstrap, venture back, yeah. multinational, and a startup transitioning to scaling up. Uh, yeah. So that. I can borrow perspective from the other uh, situation to the other. So tell us, tell us a little bit about Dana. What what does what does Dana do? Um, you know, and obviously, wh- where has it come from, and what's the plan for the company overall? When, when we talk about Dana, usually I, I I like to start the problem definition, the problem that we're mm. trying to solve. Mm. So basically, there are two hundred and seventy million Indonesian, <laughs> and Somehow, uh, banks been operated for decades, but the Indonesian that are served with financial services or bankable, maybe no more than 70 million people or so. So there are about 200 million not getting access to these financial services. While on the other hand, we see about 170 million Indonesian actually connected to the internet with mobile internet. So uh, we think is that we can leverage this technology as a delivery channel to give financial services to more Indonesians than the industry could ever yeah. done before. So we build these uh, systems, we build these apps, and we launch it, and yeah, basically just refine the capabilities, the features, try to give the awesome benefits for users, work for, with merchants, work with the banks, uh, comply with the regulations from the central banks, and grow the user base and just like i said earlier uh, about uh, maybe around april uh, we passed the 40 million users mark and we we grow from there and the next goal is of course uh, so this is kind of like our north star metrics uh, from that 170 millions how 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 many we have tapped we have onboarded to our our systems so uh, the next goal is definitely uh, in the next couple of years, how we can reach the 
100 million users and then 170 and eventually maybe 200 million users of Indonesians uh, to give them financial services. So that's 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 the goal. That's the visions. Yeah, that's where we're aiming. Yeah. Interesting. So it's a it's a basically mobile first financial services for yeah. for people with a with a with a phone. And I I, I guess how because I, I can imagine there's an awful lot of um, services that you can provide. How do you decide where to start and what's the core the core product and what do you build on and, and how do you just decide on what what the, the the you know the product roadmap should look like on okay. on something like okay. this? Okay. So the, the jewel of the crown of digital economy is e-commerce <laughs> and the pillars for e-commerce to become really successful is actually uh, two things. One is logistics and the other one is payment. So uh, since we are in financial services, of course, uh, we're not getting into the logistics space. So yeah. we're focusing on the payment. So this is where everything will start. And we also see that uh, not just in digital economy, even in offline economy, in restaurants, cafes, cinemas, and so forth, uh, what really happens when people exchange products and services are with payments. So we start with payments. We provide payment services, uh, give onboarding merchants offline and online so that uh, they can offer their products and services and user or consumers can make the payments through our platform using our app. And from there, um, we will, you know, as I said, uh, we, we're trying to get more and more users. When we yeah. have a, a scalable user base, then we begin to start to add more capabilities on other areas of financial services. Yeah. So okay. stuff like uh, maybe uh, lending, savings, and so forth, build on top of that. But yeah. that's the uh, foundations and the infrastructure. We start with yeah. payments. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 an increasingly busy part of the market, right? There's a it seems there's more and more. How how do you? Um, it, it sounds like you guys were early entrants into into the markets in in some ways. So how do you keep that competitive edge? And is there a um, is there a sort of a, a a feeling that you you know once you once you've got a certain number of users and you can keep going, then you have an almost unassailable position? How yeah? How do you sort of keep competitive in a really fast moving, busy market like that? Okay, so comparing to the uh, other prominent players that are right now exist in Indonesia, we're, we're actually come later uh, than them. So oh. the, the other guys came earlier and they've been around maybe in, in the industry for about a year or two or maybe three years earlier than us. And then we, we came. So uh, we're not definitely the first, but mm -hmm. uh, we could establish ourselves to become one of the top three. So um, I think uh, it's it's because uh, we really focus on our value propositions where we really drive to provide the secure, trusted, uh, yeah. user experience, user-friendly. I mean, if we talk about features and capabilities, there's it, it's like a race, right? Yeah. One, one month, one guy is ahead, next month, the other guy is ahead, and then uh, one guy copy the other guys features and so forth yeah. so so it's 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 always become like that so it's it's go back to the core about the stability of the system the sla the uh, yeah. uh the availability scalability reliability all the basics yeah. and of course user experience yeah. and then of course the 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 the, uh, the you know uh the virtual cycle of the 
we get more users, we attract yeah. more merchants, and yeah. we get more merchants, we attract more users. That that is happening, and I think another aspect that we do differently from the other player in the market is that uh, we we don't really see ourselves as disruptors that try to disrupt the banks. Yeah. We actually want to work together with them. Yeah. So if you look at the other payment system or the uh, mobile payment players in Indonesia, uh, they, they only uh, have uh, one uh, source of fund to do payments, which is the balance that you need to top up in that in yeah. that uh, yeah. mobile app. While in Dana, we do have that, but we also work with the bank so that uh, users can actually bind their credit cards or debit cards inside our system so that whenever they want to do the payment, they can use the source of fund, whether it's the balance that they top up in our app or yeah. using the credit card or debit card that they got from the bank. So the banks really love these ideas yeah. and we, we run campaigns <clears throat> with them and we kind of like give uh, digital or uh, technology uh, uh, capabilities to their users that, that yeah. have the cards issued by them. So uh, the banks love to work with us in the end. So I think that's that's how we... Drive it, yeah. I, guess, I guess it saves them from having to work out how to do it them, themselves. Um, yeah. But do, and do you find that that increases the the the, the like the consumer stickiness of the the app? Because uh, you know if you have the the opportunity the ability to put all of your payment methods into one place and then it, it you know it can make it much more powerful for the for the user. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that that is the goal, and yeah. As you see, um, since there are several players and we want to introduce all these capabilities to the market, and uh, in one side, Dana and all the other players, we are competing, but on the other side, we are actually working together to educate the market that our competitors is not necessarily one another of the, yeah. the payment players, but our biggest competitors is actually cash. Yeah. So yeah, we we're we're trying to you know like uh, reduce the the using of cash as payment and go to the digital. So it doesn't matter whether it's it's us or competitor, but as long as uh, someone move away from cash to digital, that is already a win. Yeah. Then the next level is of course the competition between the digital. That's where I said earlier that it's just go back to the basics, the reliability, yeah. and, and all these things, that's where actually we really compete. Yeah. But then, yeah, together with them, uh, our biggest competitor is actually cash. With regards to that sort of cash element, how are you sort of going about um, being uh, having a product that is available for sort of cashless transactions in um, perhaps like, you know, little mom and pop shops or places that, that don't have good uh, connectivity or, or, you know, are you having to address sort of technical problems around how this product works if, if you don't have a even a 3G signal or some, something like that? In the beginning, yes, we faced that, that challenges in, uh, but not really today because okay. the overall infrastructure of Indonesia is getting better. But of okay. course, there are places that are still uh, challenges, but uh, we see less and less more of an issue. And, you know, like even in some random places, maybe there is a store opening in a uh, parking basement somewhere, maybe still face these challenges, but yeah. 
I, th- I think it's it's way better these days than than a couple of years ago, so it is less of a challenge. I think the biggest challenge now is more on the adoption. That is one because uh, it, it's something that is new, people never really use, and I think there is um, an element of uh, how all these players been driving this to the market, because uh, to give them a chance to try any of our services, either done or others. Is uh, we we kind of like inten- give incentives to the users, you know, like give yeah. them uh, uh, promo cashbacks or discounts yeah. and all these things, and yeah, they become, you know, they learn that uh, they think it is the actual value proposition, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, give by the these displayers. Yeah. So it becomes a war or a race of uh, discount cashback and campaigns, and w- there is uh, in the beginning there is no really uh, uh, loyalty of the customer to a particular uh, platform. It's just yeah. whenever they want to make a payments and they will ask. So how many discounts each of these players give, and they will <laughs> yeah. definitely use the one that gives the biggest discount and yeah. cash back. So yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I, I can imagine that once they've used that discount, they'll then. Yeah. Wait for the next one on another on another app, yeah. and then use that one, and then who's yeah. <laughs> got the best discounts? Okay, okay. Now you mentioned you've got 40 million users right now in in, in Indonesia. So what what does that look like from a, a technical problem um, or having to solve as a technical problem? Because I can imagine that if you have 40 million users using an app like this daily for a number of transactions a day, your your transaction volume is going to be incredibly high. Um, what I guess what challenges have you faced over the last, over the you know, since you've joined over the last sort of couple of years, and 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 how have you gone about f- fixing those? Yeah, so the biggest challenges is of course to make something uh, stable, uh, high, highly reliable, and scalable uh, to be able to uh, handle more users. So uh, it comes back to how we define the architecture of our system and how we actually implement that and how we uh, implement the monitoring system because uh, without monitoring, without instrumentation, you you cannot really see whether there is a problem or not. And on the other aspect is that to get more users, uh, we need to also increase our agility in terms of uh, shipping the new features. So we do uh, many different aspects in in architecture and engineering on, on, on to address these issues. I think the biggest um, uh, contributions to make us scalable is uh, starting from the architecture that yeah. uh, from the ground up, we build it with microservices. Yeah. So uh, payment, uh, user membership, and all, all acquiring, it's built into a separate different services. It yeah. has its own separate databases and uh, surface-to-surface communication using messaging, using the publish subscribe patterns, and uh, in in some areas, we do also uh, database sharding of the database of a particular surface. So these things make uh, the system easily to be scaled out. Yeah. And uh, whenever we have a need to increase the capacity, we can always scale out, not necessarily scale up getting bigger machine, but just add more and more machines. And <clears throat> another biggest challenge is uh, due to the regulations. Yeah. Because as a strategic payment system, there is a regulation from the government, from the central bank, that we cannot deploy this in uh, out, outside Indonesia. So it sure. has to be 
on-prem in Indonesia and <clears throat> cannot be in the public cloud computing outside Indonesia. So we cannot leverage that uh, capabilities, you know, of the AWS, the Azure, yeah. the Google Cloud, and all these guys because uh, it's a public cloud. Yeah. Um, and a couple of years ago, they're all outside Indonesia. Yeah. They have no data center in Indonesia. So we have to build and run data center ourselves. <laughs> so so it's a, it's a big responsibility. It's not easy. Yeah. We have a team dedicated to do the server, the, the, the infra setups, the networking, and all these things that most companies can just easily rely on the public cloud computing providers, but yeah. not us, we have to build and run it ourselves. Okay. So that's, 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 that's a big challenge. I mean, I've heard rumors that some of the big players aren't looking to set up the sort of data centers in Indonesia now. Um, yeah. I, I guess now that you've built now that you've built your data centers, it, it doesn't make much sense migrating away from them. Um, how I, I guess how cost effective is is it to be to be running your own data centers in it like this? Because I can imagine it's you know it's the only option you have. But going forward, I imagine as other options would come. So we have a strategy to approach uh, this issue. So basically, based on the regulations, uh, we focus on the core payment system that has to be on-prem in our data center, okay. while everything else that is non-core, uh, there is no really regulation uh, on yeah. that part that we can actually deploy that on, on cloud, on public cloud. Okay. And yeah, you're right. So uh, Ali Cloud is in Indonesia. Google Cloud just opened in Indonesia, and I heard AWS is coming. I don't know about Azure. So we 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 started to offload some of the non-core capabilities to this public yeah. cloud that have region in Indonesia and do yeah. a hybrid cloud setup. So that's that's uh, the approach that we do. And the, the the biggest challenge, not just from the perspective of the technical and operational challenge, but also in terms of the cost effectiveness, because if you run your own DC, it's it's basically all CapEx, which yeah. is yeah, huge and yeah, it, it's CapEx with depreciations and so forth. Well, yeah. if you do it in the cloud, it's basically OPEX, it's monthly bill, and yeah. and it's actually uh, something that you can really control, you can scale yeah. and, and, and so forth. So I begin to see the hardware players also starting to create a unique solution to address these challenges. So okay. basically, there are vendors that I have already have discussions with them that uh, they can offer the capabilities of uh, you can get their servers and machines to be deployed on-prem at yeah. a certain capacity. Yeah. But the way you're going to pay is pay-per-use, just like yeah. OPEX in the cloud. So yeah. I think this is the model that, that uh, looks looks interesting for us and we are going to explore more uh, on this area so that yeah so uh, core on-prem non-core in public cloud in indonesia yeah. we do hybrid cloud and on-prem everything is capex and we're looking for solutions where all these servers can be on-prem but to be paid in the apex model yeah yeah and and how the um how the regulators been with um with having that sort of uh, you know the, the variety of service split across two different um, two different service models. I guess the on-prem and the you know is that something they, they understand well, or have you had to really talk them through you know data partitioning and this stays here and yeah. it doesn't talk to this bit. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, another interesting thing that is uniquely applicable only to payment services like us, not in other company or other startups, 
is that uh, whenever we want to release the new features that we haven't released before, we need to do a series of tests and penetration tests, yeah. which reports we need to submit to the central bank. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we will need to review this only if they give the stamp that, okay, this is good to go, then we can launch this service to the market. So okay. that, that, that's another layer uh, I, that we need. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine that adds a, adds a fairly big part to the sort of iterative agile life cycle, right? You <laughs> sort of got yeah, but in the end, test, there is still deploy, this, release, yeah. regulator. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's another layer, yeah. Okay, and, but then, and I guess... But then, again, uh, I, I, yeah, it's not necessarily uh, the the breaks or the the showstopper or the thing that prevent innovations. Uh, I think that there is a good intention in it because uh, payment system basically collect funds from the citizen yeah. and yeah, you know to to transfer that to the merchants' uh, uh, accounts and so forth. So the government just want to ensure that the players are really good guys that uh you know collect the funds from the, the yeah. citizens of indonesia and really uh yeah running it so, well so it sounds like there's a willingness to push things through um from the regulators so that's 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 encouraging um uh, what, what technical challenges do you are you going to face with the the next phase of growth because you know zero zero to 40 million is huge is 40 to 100 million a huge problem technically now that you have a sort of a better architecture in place and a better a better overall sort of technology strategy and roadmap is that next phase of growth just just about adding bandwidth and, and, and compute power or is it more are there more challenges to it than, than that thus far what we see is the maybe we still can continue with our approach so the the hybrid the the on-prem and public cloud and uh, the microservice architecture, probably we may want to split more uh, services into smaller microservices that we can uh, deploy and scale on their own. Um, and yeah, we will learn also from there uh, because uh, another thing that I've learned is that bigger is not just bigger, but bigger is also different. So there are certain uh, problem set that maybe we haven't seen today, but We'll see uh, uh, sooner or okay. later. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so the the unknown the unknown knowns or yeah. the the known unknowns yeah. or. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Okay. And then sort of so you you mentioned adding um, perhaps loans, adding savings, adding various other features. Um, how how developed are those sort of from from a product line perspective? Are these things that you are likely to be rolling out soon, or uh, how you know how's the how's the yeah. process going Some... now? Some of these capabilities uh, we already uh, launched, but uh, in the form of MVPs. Yeah. So we, uh, even though we we are moving up from starting up to scaling up, uh, we we still do that build, measure, learn cycle, and always uh, launch new thing as an MVP first and see and uh, be really data driven from there, because yeah, you know you've heard it from anyone that that does this is that uh your original idea may be eventually different from the actual product that you ship because of uh, the things that you face in the iterations. So yeah, that we we launched some of this as an MVP already. Do you have a um, like a separate group that looks at new products and innovations, or is it the business which just looks at you know where where we can where we can pick up these ideas and and, and innovate them from? Or how does that um, creation process? sort of work. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, my team is basically the technology team, the technology yeah. division, all the engineers that build the stuff. We work together closely with the product division, the product group. So we have the, the product designers, the product managers that do all these uh, market research, that do all this uh, product design and, and stuff like that. They work closely with the business. <laughs> so they work closely with the guys that go out uh, to the merchants, work closely with the guys that go out to the channels like the banks, financial services, and all other channels. And also, uh, we learn from the other players uh, in the region, and also the more successful guys that that is way bigger than us. <laughs> so uh, we also look at, for example, Alipay in China, where they serve 900 million users, or Paytm <laughs> in India, where they yeah. serve uh, 500 million users. So it's a whole different level, uh, different scale. They've yeah. been there for years and. So basically, we kind of like have a have a benchmark, and we we can have a reference of guys that's been doing this before us in other markets. Maybe we have different challenges and regulations. A few things maybe easier here than there, and yeah. vice versa. But we kind of like have a a path that we yeah. can look at and see. Okay, should should we do that, uh, or should we do that now, or uh, later so we kind of like have that bigger picture roadmap yeah. that we can use as reference yeah. uh, and what do you think will be the um the biggest challenge to overcome to get to or what is the biggest difference between the scale the business is at now compared to the scale that it that it will need to be to be to get to that that, that scale I think the biggest issue that we face right now is uh, around the user educations. So uh, not many really familiar with these methods in Indonesia. Maybe those guys in the in the Jakarta, the the Bandung, the Surabaya, the bigger cities, they are. But uh, the guys, you know, we have sixteen thousand island or seventeen thousand islands, and I, I don't know about the guys outside these these big cities. I think. Uh, user education play a, a major uh, part there and also uh, security issues that that uh, may 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 be there that really block the users to really uh, adopt this uh, new way of payment with digital and uh, we also see the pattern that it is actually hard to compromise the system or attack the system, but it is actually easier just to attack or compromise the user from social engineering. So uh, I think these these are the things that uh, you know uh, make 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 it this uh, harder to grow. And yeah, I think the challenge is to how we can crack to go beyond the bigger cities to yeah. the uh, next next layer. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so interestingly, it sounds like there's a security aspect, and that's more uh, sort of a user user security, um, and then the education of of, of the, the 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 high number of people outside of the big metropolis areas that maybe don't yeah. don't even think about this as a, as an option. I guess from the security perspective, uh, how do you go about addressing security for a user who may not be wonderfully technically sophisticated? Is it you know do you do you put a lot of alerts out to to keep sort of uh, reminding them of phishing attempts or things like that or you know I've, I've heard of some um, security systems which monitor behavior and they can you know they can very quickly pick up 
abnormal behavior of a user and if that happens they can flag it and then, so what, what do you guys do from, from that perspective yeah so uh, there are several areas of securities that we're really looking at so the first one is uh how to build a defense and countermeasures around our system so that our system will not be made paralyzed by attackers. So it's the usual, the anti-DDoS and stuff like that. So how we secure ourselves against those. And number two is around the data leak. So there are so many cases uh, increasingly happen in Indonesia. Uh, millions and millions of user database being linked over the internet, available for free, available for sale in dark internet and, and stuff like that. So <clears throat> it is one area that we really uh, pay a lot of attention to prevent data leaks. And the third one is related to the fund loss. And there are three different uh, aspects on this fund loss uh, uh, security risk. The first one is the account takeover. Number two is the uh, stolen cards. And number three, uniquely for guys like us that do a lot of promo, is the promo abuse. Yeah. So uh, social engineering uh, maybe happen a lot in the area of the account takeover or the stolen cards. So basically, uh, let's say some user credit card data is already available somewhere in the internet. And then some attacker use that to do transactions. And then it requires authentications challenge like OTP. And then somehow this attacker know the phone number of the user and they just simply make the call in. Hey, by the way, we are from Bank X and we noticed that there is an attack to your account. We need the OTP that has been sent to your phone now to, to block this attacker. And the user without much information about how this thing works they they just openly freely share the otp over the phone to the attacker yeah. and then boom there goes yeah. your money used for uh payments for a lot of different yeah. things yeah. and yeah another one is stolen cards very similar to those and the last thing that i said earlier is the promo abuse uh, apparently there are guys that you know try to see the loophole in the flow of the giving of promo discounts and cashbacks. And there are guys that really do this as their day job to looking wow. at the the promo holes in, in various systems and just basically exploit those and get the benefits of that hole. <laughs> so yeah. that is this interesting area. So again, the, the hardest part is always the the user side, the social engineering yeah. rather than the system side. Because in the system side for to prevent all this uh, account takeover, stolen card, or the promo abuse, uh, we have a fraud engine, or yeah. a fraud provision system, a risk engine that we have that sure. takes several data points from any transactions where we can decide. It's basically a, a, a common AI classification problems where you classify a particular transaction based on various data points, whether yeah. it's a valid, legit transaction or it's yeah. something that's definitely a fraud. Yeah. or it's something gray that it may be real it may be a fraud so we decide to give you a challenge yeah. being it give us more information maybe uh, challenge with pin challenge with otp or later challenge with face recognition and, and all these uh, capabilities we already have the face login where you need to do biometric with face recognition yeah. to log okay. into the app but we're thinking to also apply this as a as a as a risk challenge for the yeah. fraud detection okay
Okay. Whenever whenever I speak to people about so, so the cybersecurity and the various the various issues around it, it's always such an incredibly depressing topic. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like, I, I hosted a, a, an event a few years ago and we had some guys in and they were talking about the dark web and all these different things. Mm. And I sort of left and say, oh my god, that's, 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 there's so many different <laughs> ways that we can be we can be um, taken advantage of it that we don't even know. Um, great. And uh, look, you, you you so you've grown the business from a hundred to 350 people in 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 quite a short space of time um that alone must have its own challenges i guess how have you gone about that and you know what what have you learned from scaling 250 people and can you still name everybody's names <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't have to answer that one, i think <laughs> I, I think uh, you you are in this space yeah uh, you also know indonesia market so you know our challenges yeah. So uh, getting a tech talents, uh, especially developers, is not an easy thing. There's a fierce bloodbath and yeah. talent war in Indonesia happening with all the unicorns or the big corporates uh, driving digital transformation efforts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but it is what it is. Uh, we work with um, some, yeah, several different uh, uh, entities that we think can help us to, to yeah. crack this problem. Uh, we do referral, we do talent branding. Basically, we do all the efforts to, to, to get this uh, yeah. talent pool to come into our company. It's something that, yeah, we're still working on till today. And yeah, we, we still learn on yeah. how, how actually we can really crack this problem. But we noticed that, you know, especially these developers, maybe, uh, the things that they're really looking at to work for a company, uh, I think uh, um, stuff like uh, the the freedom that they get uh, to toward their work-life balance, yeah. whether they can work remotely, whether they can work from home, and then uh, who's the 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 CTO, who's the engineers that are already there in that company that I can learn from when I join this company, who are my who, who will be my peers. Yeah. And, and and what will be the, the challenges? Uh, is there a particular vision or mission that is great in this particular company? Uh, then the packages. So we've been seeing this pattern. So basically the engines looking for all these things first and then uh, they discuss the, the packages. So yeah. we're really going to focus to drive more on that because yeah. when we talk about packages, it's it's kind of like yeah everyone will 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 compete in that yeah yeah it's, it's interesting that's that i think sort of twice now throughout the conversation that the key you know what the very key part of success has been the vision and the mission and it, it's a it's incredible going back to that that's that really sort of almost simple core part of the business is so important exactly. to every different part yeah. um, many, many companies uh, don't really have that uh, articulated well, basically it's just writing on the wall or in pretty PowerPoint slides. But for us, it, it's something real, something yeah. just like what I said in our problem definition, how we can give financial services to 170 million or 200 million Indonesians. And where are we now? We are at 40 million. So everyone in the team knows that any lines of code that they write will affect 40 million lives. If uh, it's a good code, it will give awesome benefits to 40 million. If it's an ugly code, it will suffer 40 million people. So they know <laughs> that responsibility, but they also know that, okay, after 40 million, it will be 50 million, 60 million, 100 million. So there's this journey. We can 
quantify or articulate well our vision and mission into a matrix and numbers that we can monitor and you know really drive us every day when we come to the office are we getting closer to our target and have the feeling of that's the kind of impact i can give to the market with my code you know yeah, yeah. okay so it's very much about again and again this is another i think trait of successful leaders is that um and it goes back to one of the simon sinek comments i think which is start with why and and, and get you know enthuse everybody yeah. about that that sort of um yeah. that one part that everybody can get involved in, that everybody can play a part in that's that's fascinating and so how um well, you know obviously the, I, i'd imagine that you don't have 350 people reporting directly to you otherwise you, you'd be sort of um, <laughs> on three minute one-to-ones all day every day um yeah. how do you make sure that that um you know how do you hire leaders what do you look for when you're hiring leaders for your business and how do you ensure that that um that message is is reaching down to the grassroots in in your organization okay very good question so uh of course uh the things like integrity honesty and all these things i, I think it's something that has to be there yeah. and uh, we also noticed that today everyone is smart uh, grad from uh, uh, Ivy League top universities, uh, great GPAs, and uh, been working in uh, big multinational co companies, the GAFAM, and, and all these things. So uh, everyone is smart, in short. But uh, what I really look at into the, uh, especially for my directs and, and all the leaders in the field in our team, is more on stuff like uh, your 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 mental composure, uh, your willingness to uh, put the work. So I, I'm a believer of uh, hard work pays off. And in, in today's world where, you know, uh, everyone really uh, glorify the mantra of we should work smart, not work hard. But as I said earlier, everyone is smart. So the only way to single out from the crowd is if you can work harder than the others. So th this kind of quality, you know, like the drive, the greed, yeah. the, yeah. the hunger, uh, are the the fire that they have sure. in them to to go attack the day, uh, enthusiastically attack the day. Wake up in the morning, hit the shower, come to the office with the excitement of what kind of problems I'm going to solve today, what what values I'm going to create today. So the guys with with that drive, with that, uh, and also things will not be easy. There will be challenges. Uh, I, I always uh, tell my team that uh, you should focus on things that you can control and let go things that you cannot control. And I usually tell them that, uh, you know, you cannot calm down the storm, but you can calm yourself down in the storm. Uh, because uh, in a high pace environments, in a, you know, building scalable system, I have to ship a lot of things with all the security risks, regulations, it's it's a very high pressure. So your ability to maintain composure is, is a very key uh, capabilities okay. and also your resilience, how you can bounce back if there are difficulties. Okay. So I'm, I'm looking more into this kind of uh, capabilities because okay. I believe the, the smart aspect it shouldn't be questioned. It's yeah. it should already be there. It's it's just yeah. the passing grade. Yeah. We yeah. we have we can have the conversation if you pass those. 
Yeah, but okay. then I think all, all these qualities are missing. In, in, and how do you how do you screen for those? Do you, do you have questions that you ask, or is it a gut feel? Because I think this is again this is one of the um, the things that we we did some leadership research and and we found that you know some of the some of the the, the real key important um, aspects of successful leaders within within growth stage businesses was um, they're curious, they're driven, they have grit, they have resilience, you know, they're, they're humble. There's these sort of, there's a, a sort of series of traits, which again, none of them, none of them are uh, sort of attributed to by an MBA or anything like that. You know, <laughs> you can have all of those yeah. things, but these things are sort of personal attributes. How, how did you go about screening for those, for those types um, of things? Well, I'm, I'm actually still learning. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't really have like a, a, a formula or a, something that that yeah become like my go-to to, to look at but uh yeah mostly it's just uh especially for those that are going to work closely with me is direct screening interview set of questions uh what they have delivered in the past what challenges they have uh, faced in the past how they overcome those challenges uh, the achievements that they've uh, made in the past and how consistent are those and uh, sometimes uh, maybe there are a champion that always win. Maybe, it, yeah, sometimes uh, we haven't really, you know, like see them in, in tough situation or we haven't seen them proving the, the, uh, the resilience capabilities because they're always winning. They're always number one. They never lost. They never, uh, you know, being put down that, uh, they're never uh, uh, face uh, tough situations and recover from that tough situation. Do, do you find that um, there's a, a, I guess, a level of self-awareness that comes with failure? Um, so if you have somebody that, as you say, you've got somebody who perhaps has never lost, then they haven't learned anything from those losses. Whereas do, do you find that people who have gone through things that haven't worked out or, you know, do, do you see a, a distinct difference between those two types of personalities when you're, when you're in interview? Basically, uh, for those that have uh, faced that issue, uh, I have a proof that uh, they have faced a situation where it's 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 hard, it's tough, it's challenging, it's depressing, and they can uh, they could overcome those challenges compared to let's say the other guys that always win, but we never really know. Let's say uh, later we face a tough situation and they cannot really come back. Yeah. And show yeah. resilience. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, and I guess if you were given three wishes for for you, for the business for the next for the next twelve months, um, you can use them anywhere. Um, what 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 would they what would they be? <laughs> Probably number one is uh, to have a more reliable, scalable, secure system <laughs> because that's yeah. the core. Yeah. And then number two, uh, we can have more users and merchants use our uh, platform. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe something around regulations, uh, standards that drives towards innovations. Yeah. So now um, we are at the final part of the podcast. We are onto the now world famous quick fire questions. Um, I've, I've whittled them down a little bit. We have six questions today. Um, so. Um, let's get started. Um, what are, are you ready? Yeah. Sure. Excellent. Um, what, <laughs> it has to be fast. 
Yeah, oh yeah, fastish. You can you can you can you can expand on the answers if you like. Um, there's no timer. Um, so what what is the best advice that you've been given to date? For it can be personal advice, it could be business advice, whatever. What is the best single piece of advice that that you've received? Don't let your mind control you. You should control your mind. Could you expand on that? Give give us an example of it, perhaps, or you know, or a scenario, or or where it's been particularly useful. Yeah, I think it, it is more on uh, sometimes we're kind of soft to ourselves or we tend to uh, forgive ourselves if we don't do what we're supposed to do. Sure. And sometimes we really rely on motivations. And then, uh, yeah, basically we need to have an awareness that you are the one in charge even you need to control your mind not the other way that your mind just uh, be in charge and you are being controlled by your mind and uh, if you are in charge you can really drive yourself and then you can drive your team your business and so forth so it's about something that comes from your inner you that really be in charge and take control. And I'm also a big believer of uh, discipline is greater than motivation. Yeah. So if yeah. you are in control of your mind, then you can, you know, drive that discipline to yourself. Yeah. 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 I think it's more on that. <laughs> very, uh, very good. Um, uh, the next one is slightly more flippant. Um, but what is your terrible man? What is your favorite terrible management slogan? <laughs> what uh, I never really, uh, yeah, it's it's a whole new <laughs> concept. A whole new concept. Okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, that that's interesting. But uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's not bad. Maybe it's not necessarily about management. But I really like something that that uh, General Mattis, uh, <laughs> you know, told that uh, his his team, yeah. and it's about uh, it's it's. It was in a whole different context back then. It was in a war, yeah. but I think it's applicable in everyday life as well. So it's more on be polite, be professional, but always have a plan to kill everyone you meet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not familiar with that one. That's 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 great. Um, um, okay, so next, um, tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Okay, um, I think I've said that earlier in our uh, chat. Uh, maybe not nobody believes, but most of the guys don't believe. So uh, I don't, as I said, the it's an over-glorified uh, uh, mantra that you should work smart, not work hard. Okay. So uh, for me, I believe in work hard. So yeah, as I said, uh, now everyone is smart, and the only way uh, to be singled out from the crowd is is uh, how hard you are willing to put the work. Where is the first place you will visit um, once the lockdown restrictions ease? I'm going to visit my parents in Bali. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. To Bali. <laughs> but, but I think Bali's on my list of the first place I'd go to after lockdown as well. Um, um, uh, what's your most obscure hobby? I mean, CrossFit, people doing CrossFit. <laughs> I also do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, people do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. 
So what is weird? <laughs> weird, not weird. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, think, I don't I don't do either. So they're both weird to me. So <laughs> I think uh, probably uh, things that uh, never really crossed my mind that, but I just started to do it. Maybe it's because of the quarantine. Yeah. I began to you know uh, buy more stuff online, oh. and I begin to buy more action figures. Okay, is, okay. I never really done that before. Yeah. Okay. But since this uh, pandemic. I'm looking at uh, e-commerce websites and apps, and I see like Superman, I see uh, Batman, I see Aquaman, I see all these characters, and I bought this, bought that, and all of a sudden I have many different action figures now. So, <laughs> is that is that sort of um, working through some sort of childhood desire for these? And you know, is a yeah, uh, I think <laughs> I think it's that. Yeah. It's, and then the last, the last, uh, the last one. What part of the future are you most excited by? Yeah, I think it also relates that uh, maybe I was born in the wrong time. Okay. That, uh, I'm actually excited if with space exploration. So yeah. <laughs> I, I hope I, I can join the Starfleet Academy. But uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. I, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I wish that um, we will, we will see wormhole technology advancing to a, a, such a level that we can, yeah. we can, we can pop over to Mars. Hopefully, it happens in our lifetime. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's everything. Um, look, thank you so much for, um, for for joining the show. It's been been an absolute pleasure. I really, really appreciate your time. So, so thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sam. Uh, I'm enjoying it myself too. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Southeast Asia's Growth Leaders with me, Sam Randall. In the next episode, we stay in Indonesia and are delighted to welcome to the show the CEO of the fintech company Investry, Adrian Gunadi. In this episode, we take a look at the social impact of financial inclusion in the Southeast Asia region and how Investry is tackling the many challenges of providing financial services to the underbanked. I look forward to seeing you there. Stay safe. Farewell.